Welcome to our ongoing series sponsored by Catholic Church Reform International. I'm your moderator, Rene Reed. Our guest today is Pamela Perry, who has made a compelling faith journey from originally being raised in the Anglican Church in England as a child to as an adult becoming a forceful defender of the need for reform in the Roman Catholic Church. Pamela, it's really good to have you with us. Thank you. You started out as a child being brought up in the Church of England. Tell us what led to your conversion. In, as a child in the Church of England, I found that um, the church had very little interest for me. In fact, I was extremely bored. And so um, I stopped going precociously at the age of 11. I decided the Anglican church wasn't for me, which was sad for my parents, but they were, I left. When I was 18, I had um, become very concerned about the down and outs that one saw in Paris. I had a French pen friend and I'd spent a lot of time in Paris. And in England, I hadn't seen any poverty at all. I was living in a nice middle-class bubble. But then in Paris, I saw these poor people who most of whom I'd heard afterwards had been in prison and come out, couldn't get employment and were failed by a non-ex non-existent social security system after the war. I read in the English newspaper, the Daily Telegraph, that there was a French priest, Abbe Pierre, who was gathering these people into groups, which later became the Emmaus movement. Then it was called the Rag Pickers, because Abbe Pierre made these communities able to support themselves by helping them to realize that what a lot of people discarded was extremely valuable. So do I understand you left England and went over to France, to Paris? Oh, uh, not yes, but not for a long time. I was 18. This was in my summer holiday from school before I started university. So um, I, had, I had not realized that this particularly was um, a Catholic action that was going on. I went purely out of social concern, not, as, not even as a Christian. However, as soon as I got there, I met the Abbe Pierre and I saw God shining out of his eyes. I can still see his eyes. I never looked back after that. I certainly didn't find Christianity boring anymore. And when I came back to England, I found out more about the Catholic Church and became a Catholic when I was 22. But what I find interesting uh, in your story and in your journey is that having been converted to Catholicism, you still find yourself critical of some aspects of the Catholic Church. Yes, I find the Catholic Church um, intolerant in a way that Jesus would not be. For example, at communion, I'm sure Jesus would not have said no when some people came to receive communion because they belonged to a different church or because they were considered unworthy. But specifically for me, I find the Catholic Church does not honor and respect women in the way that Jesus did. Jesus had many women as his friends, 
and equals, but in the Catholic Church, women are not equal. They're seen, but they're not heard. In Mass, for example, they can do the first readings, they can do the Psalms and the prayers of the faithful, but even though the world has a richly spiritual bank of holy sisters, only men can say Mass, only men can preach. Despite the longing some women, including me, have to hear the Gospel presented in ways which are relevant to our own experience, but only men are allowed to preach. Many women also have experienced sexual abuse from men, sometimes even from their own fathers. Yet under the clerical system, they're forced either to make sacramental confession to a man or avoid the confessional altogether. How healing it could be for them to encounter the wisdom and understanding of ordinary women. And I do think that men are disadvantaged too, because um, under the clerical system, they are denied, they even fear the emotional and sacramental support that women could give them. What's interesting to me, Pamela, is that the church you left, the Anglican Church, now has women priests and uh, now welcomes all to the table, uh, with regardless of where they are in their faith journey. Were you at some point driven to go back to the, the Anglican Church because of that? Well, never, um, because much as I admire the Anglican Church, Catholicism is now in my blood. The first, very first time I heard Mass was outside one night in the open air beside a bonfire said by Abbe Pierre for and in the company of the ragged people who were his friends. And that deeply rich spiritual experience has stayed with me forever. And so the Catholic Church is just part of me. Can you say in more depth why the Catholic Church, what part of it, what aspect of it compels you far more than the Anglican Church? Um, very difficult to say, except that um, I suppose for me, um, I encountered people who lived in great poverty only in the Catholic Church. In the Anglican Church, I've met wonderful people, but I have never had the same sort of visceral <laughs> human experience as I had through the Catholic Church. And now I have, um, for example, a white father who is my godson, a missionary of Africa. And through him, I understand just how vital a church is for Africa and how it holds itself as a beacon of light throughout the world. Because it's so much bigger than the Anglican Church, the Anglican Church is worldwide too. But the Catholic Church is worldwide in a rather different way, I think, in a much more, a much deeper and all-embracing way is what I feel. I want to share with you that I made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem a few years ago, and I went with a group of, uh, an Episcopal group from New York, and we stayed at an Episcopal re retreat house in Jerusalem. 
one morning I was up early and I was into the cafeteria getting a cup of coffee and a priest walked in. He looked familiar to me. He was in his collar and his face looked really familiar. So I said to him, are, are you Father Justin? And he said, yes, I am. Are you part of the New York group? And we sat down and talked for maybe 30 minutes, just getting to know each other and exchanging bits of our of our spiritual journey. So the next day, our group went to Bethlehem and Father Justin's entourage was also in Bethlehem. And he saw me from across the way and waved and I waved back. And all the Episcopalians that I was with said, do you know him? And I kind of smiled and said, well, yes, I got to know him a bit in our cafeteria. This Father Justin was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Yes, well, I don't think you would find anywhere a more spiritual, mystically gifted person than Justin Welby. And the Catholic Church, I think, appreciates um, the Archbishop of Canterbury in perhaps a different way from the way the other Christian churches might respect the Pope. The Pope is much more authoritarian. There is, is not such an authoritarian figure in the Anglican Church. And one of the reasons I value the Anglican Church so much is that anyone is free to say what they want. England has always prided itself on free speech. And it scares me sometimes when I see how frightened Catholics are to diverge ever so slightly from what the church might teach. It seems like this quality is one of the things that Pope Francis and Father Justin share with each other because so much of, I think they have a good bond from what I have heard. And I'm sure. Yes, so much of what wonderful. Francis is about is trying to build the church up from the ground and open it up to uh, a welcoming and listening church. He's running these synods, getting the bishops to actually speak their mind, which they're not used to doing because yes. previous popes have not ever wanted that of them. In fact, I understand that one of the turning points in your life was actually happened at the funeral of Pope John Paul II. Is that right? That is right, yes. I can remember I had actually to leave the house and go for a walk in the middle of the funeral because suddenly it dawned on me how masculine the church was. I'm sure there were lots of holy religious sisters there, but what I noticed was serried ranks, thousands and thousands of masculine clerics, and I found it actually quite shocking. And so ever since that time, I have been campaigning for the priestly ordination, the sacramental ministry of women. And I did this first by um, helping a website, which you probably know, it's, it's called www.womenpriest.org. It's an international website and it is a rich store of learning and theology and human understanding. So I was writing um, a newsletter for that, but I have to say, I was very cowardly. I was um, affected by 
the medieval fear which afflicts many parishioners of getting out of line. And so I wrote these letters um, anonymously. But then later on, I decided that I really wanted to meet some people face to face who believed in the ordination of women. So I joined um, CWO, Catholic Women's Ordination, which is a very active organization in England, which has existed for 25 years. And it's now affiliated to WOW, W-O-W, which is the Worldwide Ordination of Women. So I joined Crow, and I actually um, was invited onto the executive, which was wonderful. But I realized that people in my own parish knew nothing about it. They wouldn't have the slightest idea that anyone was campaigning for the ordination of women, and they would be afraid to talk about it. So I decided that I would start stirring up ordinary Catholics, the Catholic laity, in my own parish and I was really scared about doing this I didn't want to upset my parish priest who is was the most perfect parish priest anyone could ever have he's just retired I found a quiet time to speak to him which was very very difficult in his busy life and said I love you and I love the Catholic Church but I am going to campaign for the ordination of women and his reply my amazement was I have no problem with that whatsoever however he said um, please don't advertise openly because I'm afraid you might divide the parish you just email people you know well, fortunately I used to uh, edit the parish magazine so I knew quite a lot of people's email addresses and I wrote to everybody I could think of and the first meeting I think we had 28 people they didn't know each other necessarily, some did, some didn't. And they came in fear and trembling, wondering who else dared to be there, because I said it would be about the subject of ordination for women. That They gradually relaxed and we talked about it and what they wanted. And I said, what do, what do you really want for the parish? And they said they would like the ordination of women, but they also would like the ordi ordination of married men, married people. And so when I founded Parishioners Corps, it was obvious that what we should campaign for was what the laity wanted. And that was to be ministered to by people like themselves, who might be male, might be female, might be married, might be celibate. But they didn't only want to be ministered to by celibate men, however wonderful, like my parish priest, they might be. This uh, is an area that is of great interest to us at Catholic Church Reform. Last week, I invited Sister Mary Bridget Meehan on as a guest, and she was absolutely delightful. And uh, I've reached out to the executive director of um, Women's Ordination Worldwide and hope to have her on next. So this is an area of, of great interest to me. I'm just wondering with all this work, have you ever personally felt a call to the priesthood? Well, looking back to when I was very young, I think perhaps I did. But um, my family were absolutely shocked and appalled by my even becoming a Catholic. And to my shame, I think I suppressed it. But I don't think that I had a call to be 
and a sister. If I had a call, I'm sure it would have been to be a priest. But I have not suffered the way many women that I have met have suffered. Women who have been called, who know they've been called from being very, very young, but have had their vocation consistently blocked, even ridiculed. And although they have been parish workers and chaplains and catechists, it has not been enough for them. They know that there is much more that they could do to spread God's word than they are allowed to do. I know as a child myself, I had never even occurred to me to consider the priesthood. It didn't enter my, my consciousness, but I did feel a call to religious life and entered the Daughters of Charity at a very at the same age that you went through your conversion. And it was a, a beautiful time of my life. If I were to go through any kind of formation when others were in college, I couldn't have had a better formation year than in living in religious life. But I'm just wondering if you would say that part of the advancement of the Anglican Church, because they have surpassed us in certain ways, would it be due to the inclusion of women in ministerial roles? I'm absolutely certain that is true. I think women have brought the Anglican Church to life completely. Um, one of my um, influences recently has been that of Dean June Osborne, who was Dean of Salisbury Cathedral until very recently. Now she's Bishop at Flandaff in Wales, which is amazing. Um, but when she preached, all the women that I knew in the cathedral were moved in a completely different way from the way they'd been moved before. It doesn't mean to say that we um, don't gain a lot from the preaching of the men in the cathedral. They're wonderful too. But it was an additional richness that we hadn't dreamt of. I think Pope John Paul II had an impact on you, not just at his funeral, but his whole position of forbidding Catholics to even talk about the ordination of women, I think hits you really hard. Is that true? Absolutely, yes. And that's why I really felt called to help parishioners to talk. And um, parishionerscall.com, um, if you have a look at our website, aims to give courage to the laity, not to be outrageous, but just not to be afraid to say what they really feel, what they really would like, and to talk to one another. And if they come to a conclusion, no matter what it is, it's their conclusion, it's what they think, they should write to the Pope and copy the letter that they write to the Pope to their bishop. We don't want anyone to think or do anything outrageous just to tell the Pope exactly how it is for them, what they would like the church to be. And I must say, I have given talks, and my co-founder has given talks to people, to groups of Catholics, and we have had a hundred percent agreement from the people we met that they would like the Catholic Church to ordain ordinary people, married people and women who have a call from God and who are deemed worthy. I'm curious whether you've had any positive response from your outreach to 
various bishops and to the Pope? Have you had any kind of, of response at all? Not so far, because we're very new. Um, I began parishioners' call only in January 2018. Since then, I have had a, um, a response from parishes, though. One parish in particular have gone on a pilgrimage to their bishop to ask him, to their archbishop, sorry, to, uh, to ask him to ask his bishops to listen to the laity. I found that very satisfying. <laughs> My own parish has just composed a petition which it has signed and it's about to go up, off to Pope Francis very soon. In our work with Catholic Church Reform, and we work closely with people from We Are Church International as well. We've all given up much willingness to put energy into reaching out to the hierarchy. And we Are Church has been trying for over two decades. We've been trying for six years and well, we occasionally get a token response and they pat us on the head, but we don't really impact or make a difference. So we've come to the conclusion after all of our efforts to put almost all of our energy into reaching out to the people of God and hoping yes. that we can move the people who are sitting in the pews Sunday after Sunday or the people who have given up on the church and left it entirely to realize that we are the church. It's not the hierarchy who is the church. They're a minority. We are the majority and we are the church. And it is our responsibility, it's our duty, it's our calling as Christians to take some role in leading the church forward. That's our goal right now. And it is a difficult one to accomplish. Are you yes. accomplishing something along those lines? Because we find I'm it trying. very difficult. I'm, I'm trying to. Um, and I'm working on the idea of an international petition from all the Catholic organizations internationally, worldwide, if all of them get together with all the laity to have a petition. I feel that um, we are the shareholders of the church because we pay for it and we are therefore responsible for it. It is like a company which we must make sure is fit for its amazingly wonderful purpose in every way we possibly can. And so that's what I am hoping to achieve or to light the spark of very soon, an international petition from every country, from every organization, in particular, from the, all the laity we can communicate with to say how they see things, what they want to happen. One of the areas where we've had a little bit of, of movement is getting Catholics who want something more, maybe even more than just church on Sunday, and are looking for a, a more intense bonding, uh, yes. a, a more active way to really be a presence of Jesus in the world today. And what we're what we're seeing is more and more people are interested in home masses, in yes. gathering in small groups with people that they feel a, a, a building of community 
and actually celebrating the Eucharist in, in those ways. This is even bringing back some of the people who have gotten fed up with the church over the sexual abuse crisis, or over how they've been treated uh, once they are divorced and remarried. But they're finding a, a, a warmth and a, a way to really live their faith through small faith communities. Have you yes, had any, I, any experience with that? Yes, I have. Um, Salisbury has five Catholic churches and we have only one Catholic priest now. I believe at the last count there were 2,500 parishioners for one priest. Obviously he can't cover all the five places where Mass is said and so we have had the opportunity to have a service of the word every Thursday evening in one of the little chapels in the country, the Church of the Good Shepherd, which is really just like a prefabricated building, but it has a beautiful icon inside it. And the people of the village, the Catholic people, and people like me from central Salisbury, join together and conduct the services by turns. One of us will read the gospel, one of us will lead the meeting, and we have um, someone, a new one, who's just arrived, who's a wonderful singer, and she can play the organ. We have a little organ which we play at the beginning and the end. And sometimes there are as few as half a dozen people there, but it is growing, and now we have 16. And the spiritual experience, the spiritual atmosphere, and the closeness of it is completely different in um, intensity from the experience one has in a parish church where you might have 100, 150 people singing and praying together. Some of those people, I think, um, and in this I include myself, go to church often as an obligation on Sunday. But on Thursday, you don't have to go to church to carry out what the church wants you to do. You go there be willingly because you want to. And that makes a very big difference. So I agree with you, small communities, meeting in a different way at a different time can be wonderfully spiritual and inspiring. In your small gatherings, do you always have a priest present? No, we don't. Um, we have a priest once every five weeks, um, but there aren't enough priests to go around. So um, we completely take the services ourselves. And I think you can see when you look at this little building, um, how what loving attention the people give to it. It is beautifully decorated, it's beautifully clean, it has lovely fresh flowers, and there is a marvellous atmosphere there. And without a priest present, do you ever celebrate the Eucharist? We've not done that, no, we have pre-consecrated hosts. Well, I get the sense in talking with you that you, like me, have been inspired to get involved in part by the spirit of Pope Francis. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Wonderful. We would support him and I think writing a petition to him, to Pope Francis, is a way of supporting him. I was talking to the mayor of Salisbury recently and he said, we politicians want to do things, but we have to show that we are being forced to do it by the pressure of public opinion. So if we get something like 7,000 people writing to us, then that enables us to do what we already want to do. 
And I feel it's the same for Pope Francis. We must support him and help him and encourage him. With this closing of the Amazonian Synod that Francis has just recently called, yes, uh, we see uh, some hope for some yes. of our reform issues moving forward. It looks yes. as if the initiative to get women more involved with and give them more authority, possibly reopening consideration of having women deacons, which seems to me like a small token, but yes. it's something in the in the way forward. And then the um, the what looks like will come out of it the decision to allow already married men, respected married men, already married to be yes. ordained to the priesthood to cover some of the areas that priests cannot cover. So yes. that gives me some hope that we are finally making, seeing an impact and making a difference. Yes, and, and I know um, that in Africa, whole dioceses are completely run by women. And the priest who has to travel hundreds of miles just turns up occasionally. But it's women who are the backbone and the inspiration of the church. I have a white father friend whose mother was 75 um, in Uganda last week and he said it's a miracle that she has survived to the age of 75 because throughout many dreadful vicissitudes in the family it's this she who has kept the family together and she's earned money by teaching but at her birthday her son said mass and all the family gathered and his mother was the one who preached. I think that's Beautiful. wonderful. Pamela Perry, you have gone from being a convert from the Anglican Church to a fierce defender of the need for reform in the Roman Catholic Church. Continue your work. We support you, we love you, and we want to see you not stop. Thanks so much for being a guest today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me.